You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Jackie Coben, a triple certified coach, life Enneagram and NLP from the New York City area who helps both individuals and companies create sustainability in their lives and reach goals through self-awareness and emotional intelligence. She's also the CEO and founder of Table for Nine Coaching and the host of the Table for Nine podcast. She's the mom friend of the group and loves binging The Office, just like me. (laughs) So be sure to stay tuned through this episode, drop us your thoughts on social media, and without further ado, welcome Jackie. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm super excited to be here and to chat with you. I know. I said I had to hit record before we started talking more because the (laughs) second I heard you were an Enneagram coach, I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. I nerd out. Fun stuff here. Oh my gosh. I know, right? Can we kick things off? I thought this would be really fun. I want to tell you uh, my Enneagram and you tell listeners what that probably means about me and we can see if that's correct. Okay. (laughs) I, well, actually, you actually don't know me at all, but do you have, right, do you so have a guess? Really- yeah, you wouldn't, I don't even know how you would guess that. This is like being psychic or something, but. Okay, my guess, and this is like, this is off of, you know, just, okay, you're a business person. Mm-hmm. You are very like, just, it seems very just so, very thorough, but also at the same time, like, I don't mind delegating this to other people because I don't care if we kind of like, just let's just get stuff done so I'm gonna guess either a three or an eight I'm a three do you know oh man if you could guess my wing I'm gonna feel like you read my soul (laughs) are you three wing three wing two yes oh my god (laughs) I'm a three wing two I never I never guess I never because I'm like you know I don't know people's core fears desires motivations anything like that um so I don't like to guess Uh uh-huh that is Wow, I feel nice like you to just get read one. my soul. Okay, so can you tell people what that means if they have no idea what we just said when we said a three wing two and freaked out? Yeah, absolutely. So a three on the Enneagram, and we can talk more about what the mm-hmm. heck Enneagram is, but a three is an achiever and sometimes is nicknamed the best. So I mean, uh, I would agree with that. Definitely the best. I would, I would definitely choose. <laughs> she's very charming, dressed to kill, aka she's got, like, you can't see her, but she's got red lipstick and a really, really cute bun and headband, but they're always dressed to kill. They, But their name speaks for themselves. They are the achievers. They're the CEOs. They are the people who push things along. And you know, every, every single Enneagram type has, has a core motivation that is not so fun to deal with that really pushes them forward in what they do. And the core motivation or fear for the type three is that their worth is really tangled up with their accomplishments. And so, you know, if they're going to therapy, they want to be the best patient. If they're in, (laughs) if they're at work, they want to be the best person there. They, because they feel like their worth is tied to their accomplishments and real change can happen when they can unwrap and untangle those things and say, wow, good. You know, my worth is really, really good here. And my works are really, really good here and keep them separate. Oh my gosh. You read my soul. (laughs) (laughs) I get that a lot. And I'm just like, 
awesome. It's yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is fulfilling work. Yeah. <laughs> so for folks who have no clue what all of these things are that you are triple certified in, what do you do as a life coach an Enneagram, an Enneagram coach and an NLP coach? And while you're at it, just tell us more about you in general too. So everyone can get to know you more. <laughs> That's fine. And don't feel bad if you don't get it. I've been with my boyfriend for two years. He still doesn't know what I do. So yeah. it's totally fine. Um, my name is Jackie. I am a coach because I got burnt out on life and hit a wall. And I was like, well, here we go. So essentially what I do is I am first and foremost an Enneagram coach. I use that as the basis of everything I do. I realized I wanted to coach people. Um, I wanted to be a life coach. I wanted to help people reach their goals, do what they want to do. But when I realized, okay, if I want to run six miles and my mom wants to run six miles, we've got two different things stopping us. If I want to open a business and my brother wants to open a business, we've got two different things stopping us. So I was like, well, if I use the Enneagram that points not just to personality traits, but motivations, if I can, if I can undo someone's warped worldview, then we can really get some change going. And that's why I believe it's sustainable change. So I put the Enneagram into life coaching. I do that together. So we do some Enneagram sessions and we do life coaching. Where the NLP came in, it's it's kind of simple. It's uh, neuro-linguistic programming. So neuro, your brain, linguistic, your language, programming, your behavior. So it's really like helping people to see that the way you think and the way you hear information, it comes from your experiences. So that's why people with maybe a victim mindset tend to always think that things are about them. Or, you know, people with abandonment issues always assume people are going to, you go and you hear and you do based on your own experiences. And so helping people to identify those things where the gaps are and helping, helping them to see your brain removes half of the information you just heard and replaces it with your own experience helps them say, okay, I'm going to put my mind to work. I'm going to put my heart to work and I'm going to put my body to work to actually accomplish this goal. So cool. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's so cool. And it's so fascinating to me because it's like, you don't, unless you actually go to therapy or like go and have coaching where you figure out where all of these ties are mm -hmm. and how things in your past affect things and just really identify mm -hmm. what, who you are and what makes you you. Oh my God. It's like opening up a whole new world where it brings about this new awareness that actually, I don't know. I feel like it's empowering. It helps you really figure out how to move forward in the direction that you want to go in your life because mm -hmm. you're able to better harness who you are as a person. Yeah. My goal is it's not, I don't want to tell people who they are. I want to help them figure out the language. That's the thing. Yeah. I, I went through so many years in my life where unless you really freaking pissed me off and I had veins popping out of my head, I could not communicate what I didn't like. I couldn't communicate who I was or how I worked or anything like that. And people rarely can. It's, it's like, you know, in theory, you know it when you see it. I know it when I see it only works when you like see someone else's dish at a restaurant. You're like, I, I knew it when I see it. I want that dish also like that. It doesn't work in real life. So, you know, realistically, like just helping people have language. It even helps in therapy. I have one-off clients who are like, I just need to know my Enneagram type, the ins and outs. It helps them develop language. They bring that to therapy and they're able to explain this makes sense. That is so cool. <laughs> okay. So we're talking all things Enneagram today. Yes. So for people who up till now are like, what the heck is that? <laughs> what is the Enneagram? Why is it important? And what makes this different from any other personality test out there? Yeah, absolutely. So what it is essentially is it's like an internal roadmap. It is nine main personality types 
you know, before you cry about there only being nine, there are lots of variations, you know, you can go into. So don't worry about it. But nine main personality types that are not just about character, but about worldview. They're based on your, you know, your core motivations, your desires, your fears, the things that you're dying to hear, all of that stuff. And it breaks us down and helps us understand ourselves. It doesn't, you know, people always say it doesn't help. It doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you're in Mm. and you can't help but want to get out when you're, when you realize you're in that box. It's, I think it's important because I I genuinely believe it's the only sustainable personality typing thing. I mean, you can do like Buzzfeed's like, what pasta are you? Or like, you know, like what Hogwarts house are you or whatever. And that's, and that's like fun. It's like, oh, this makes sense. Cause I'm like fun and spirally. So of course I'm rotini and (laughs) really it's, it's just, it's not sustainable stuff. When you look at the Enneagram and you're going, oh, well, one second ago, I was like the kindest, sweetest person in the world, but someone made a random comment that for most people would be one off, but turned me into a dragon. There's nothing that explains that like the Enneagram. Because Wait, Rotini, knowing that you are Rotini does not tell you that? What? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 just my common belief. <laughs> no, you must, you must be in Slytherin if that was what happened, right? For real. <laughs> um, what I think makes it different is, like, I, I really, I respect other personality typing methods too, the things that at least have some backing. Like, um, like I love Myers-Briggs, but I do think people use that to excuse behavior. I, I'm, I'm just introverted. I got to like rest or I'm sorry. I'm like judging, not thinking. I'm like, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's like excuse, excusatory behavior. And what I love about, so Myers-Briggs is outside in. It's what am I doing on the outside? And the Enneagram is inside out. It's mm. what is motivating me to actually do my actions because my actions can change like this. Yeah, no, you're right. So what are the different types and what does it mean to have a wing? Because I know, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a three-wing yeah. too. So walk, yeah. us, walk us through the different types, what they are, um, and wings. <laughs> let's, let's do this. I'm going to try to make this time efficient. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with the Enneagram type one. The one is called the perfectionist or the reformer. And for them, they are like very punctual. They may not be organized, you know, on their desk or in their car, but they're organized in their head. They like things just so they, you know, might rearrange something when you're not looking. They, they are very to the T. And for them, they really feel like the things that they do and their environment and the things that they can or even can't control are a reflection of them. So if the world around them is not perfect, if the work they do is not perfect, they are not perfect. And their main fear is being bad, wrong, or even evil. So they repress all their anger and they channel it into perfection. The Enneagram type two is called the helper or the advocate. They are Uh, you know, the last one to leave your dinner party, if there are still dishes in the sink, they're really sweet. They are indiscriminate caregivers. And for them, they really feel like their value, their worth, their um, achievement of love comes from earning it, from helping other people. So they'll self-abnegate and they'll put themselves, it's kind of like the giving tree. They put themselves to the side and they keep giving and and that makes them happy. But eventually the dam bursts and and their fear is that if they are not needed in a situation, they're not really loved, they're just tolerated. Um, The Enneagram type three, I went over that. You want me to go over that again? Sure, we're going in order, so why not? Awesome, let's do it. (laughs) Um, So the achiever, the type three, or also nicknamed the best, they are super, super charming. Really, like they're they're fun to be around. They're super, super smart, highly adaptable to any situation. They may not like change though. Um, 
but they are just, they're your go-getters, your CEOs, they're dressed to kill. They're really awesome. And they work hard. Like they're role models in the office and in, and in life. But for them, they really feel like their value is tied to their works and their accomplishments. And so there's, there's that internal struggle of, I, I, you know, and we'll talk about it later, but that imposter syndrome, like, I don't think that I earned where I am, but my earnings really define my worth. So where do I stand? And, and their fear is really not being loved for who they are, but just for their achievements and what they can bring. The Enneagram type four, the individualist or the romantic, they don't do feelings or have feelings like they are feelings, you know, <laughs> and uh, there's, they're highly emotional and that's a superpower for them. They feel so empathetically. They are people, I think, on the front lines now talking about the injustices. Those are our loudest people. Um, they really feel a full spectrum of emo emotions and they can really be there for other people. They're highly creative and artistic in their own way, whether it's in a workplace or even in actual art. But for them, their core fear is, um, being mundane. And the reason that's important is for them, they feel like they will be forgotten if they don't stand out. They're, they, they're not unique enough. They feel like something, they fear that something is fundamentally missing in them. And if I can stand out, if I can be different, if I can be loudest or memorable, then I won't be forgotten and I'll be loved. The Enneagram type five is the observer or the theorist. I love the theorist because I think it's so accurate, but they're the people who live in their brains 100% of the time, not their bodies, not their hearts, but their brains and their minds. And they're, they're collectors of knowledge of information. They love to become experts on a subject. They really are, you know, one of their fears is, is being depleted of energy. So you find them rationing it, rationing it out throughout the day. They're the people who don't have an open door policy in the office necessarily. Um, and because interruptions really drain them of energy. But another one of their fears is being incompetent. So they store up knowledge. They think that, you know, feelings take up more energy than knowledge. And I'd rather just be already there in my brain. So that's that's the five for you. And Ugram type six, which is one of my favorites, is called the loyalist or the guardian. I love the guardian. I think because, you know, they're the guardian for the rules, but for them, you know, across the board, you'll see a lot of memes and a lot of stigmas about the type six. They're not scaredy cats, but they are the kind of people who live in code yellow all the time. For them, a core, a core fear or a core understanding is anything that could go wrong could go wrong. So I really need to plan and prepare. So they're the kind of friend that you might think is negative because you said you got a job two hours away and they're like, but what about the traffic there? I heard there was a shooting there once. I heard this, I heard that. Are they paying you enough? Is it, is it highly? So, but they're the kind of people that do that to protect. They are weeding out every possible thing. So they're not being negative. They're protecting you. Um, the Enneagram type seven is called the enthusiast or the party. I like to call them the Peter Pan of, of all the types, but they, they, they never, they never land. They're so fun. They're always down for the next adventure. They're always down for fun. They're always like you text them at midnight. You're like, let's go to the beach. They're like, hell yeah. So they're, they're really awesome people to be friends with, but for them hopping from one experience to the next is really to avoid deep pain. They feel very deeply and they feel that their, their core fear is being trapped in deep emotional pain. And they think if I can go from one experience to the next, I don't have to land on this because if I open this can of what bass on myself and feel this pain, I'm never going to stop feeling it. The Enneagram type eight is, you know, they're called the contrarian or the challenger. Some people say the dragon. I love that. They are the most misunderstood people of, of the Enneagram types. They see in black and white. They just are. They're straight, they're straight shooters. They are 
rough they'll get in your face sometimes they're going to tell you like it is they're gentle giants though on the inside they are super gentle they they hate injustice they will stand in between you know someone being bullied and the bully they'll do it they'll you know stand up for everybody for them their fear is being rejected and being blindsided and at the mercy of injustice that's where their bigness comes from you can feel their personality when they walk into a room and that's where that defense mechanism comes from when they're standing up for other people the enneagram type nine is called the peacemaker or the wallflower and they're just they're such sweethearts i can't think of a single person who doesn't love a nine um they are just so flexible they're the, they're just so adaptable but for them, that's also kind of a downfall. So for them, um, they fear conflict, tension, especially direct conflict. So they are going to kind of mold to what everybody else wants and fold into what everybody else wants and kind of self-abnegate like the two, but really for a different motivation because they don't want to cause conflict. And for them, their core fear is conflict. But also the fear that comes with that is, do people around me ever actually know me? By no fault of their own because they don't actually speak their opinions and, they, and their needs and they, they fear and they truly believe that other people and their opinions are more valuable than theirs. I feel like everybody listening is probably like, oh my God, she just saw inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> you just explained those all so well. Thank oh you. Oh my God. What is your Enneagram type? I'm a two. I'm a two with a very strong one wing. Oh, and let me, and let me, uh, to that, let me tell you what wings are. Um, so a lot of people tell me, like, they'll take an online test and they'll be like, oh, I, I, I you know, I tallied as a, a two wing eight. And the reason they say that is because maybe eight was the runner up score. So that's not what it is. If you look at the Enneagram, it's like a circle. Nine's at the top, six at the bottom, and all the, the other numbers are filled in. It's kind of like a clock in a sense. The wings, like a bird, are the numbers on each side. So you being a three, your options for wings are two or four. That's it. My options for wings are one or three. That's it. If you are a six, it's five or seven. That's it. So it's the numbers to the left and to the right. I have a strong one wing. I tap into my three occasionally. You can have both, right? A bird needs both to fly. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like you don't become those numbers. You take on some attributes. Your motivations don't change, right? So you as a three, your motivation is always going to be the same. You're always going to have that a little bit of an internal struggle. The healthier you get, it's going to be less identifiable. But you're too... Um, your wing as a two, or sometimes if you switch and you have a four, it's some personality traits. It's not your core motivation. So you don't change. Do you see people where they are like a three and they are not at all a wing two, where they're like, absolutely not, not a helper. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Where they're like, but, and here's the thing the, the, like a, a three with a two wing doesn't always need to help, but they might think about other people when making these decisions. So it's, it's, it's always really interesting to see, um, and a lot of them can be similar. Like my mm -hmm. one wing and my three wing look very, very similar because ones and threes are really similar and threes and four, uh, twos and fours can look really similar and four and six can look really similar for like a five with those wings. So it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, but you can, you can see sometimes like, oh, that's her one wing right there. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's rearranging the dishwasher again. Okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is so interesting too. I know I'm, I'm a very strong wing too, but also when I did those tests and it ranked me numerically, mm -hmm. I think I was like 93% three, 91% two. So I was like, okay, percentages too. I was like, I was both. <laughs> So right, and it's about where your motivations are too. Right, right. Is there a type or two that is statistically more common than others? I hear this a lot. 
A lot of people say that in America, sixes are more common. I think that is false. That's my, my, my opinion as an expert. And um, I, you know, everyone else can have their opinion. It's totally fine because that ins insists that it's nurture, not nature. And it's more nature than it is nurture. It's more panic is more common in the United States. Sure. You know, but, you know, no. I don't think one's more common than the other. <laughs> I think, you know, people say like fives are rare. That's not true. They just don't want you to find them. <laughs> you know, or, or like, wow, sevens are so common. No, because they're just really happy to be sevens. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, so it's, 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 mistypes are so common like that. I don't think most of the United States types of, types of six, especially like I heard this, um, if you're in the South and you just became a mom, you're probably going to type as a type two. Or if you just became a mom in general, you might type as a six because you're always like, what's going on? Could, I, could, could something go wrong? You know, so it's it's very common to type as a certain number. But no, I don't. Does think. your type change or can your type change at different no. points in your life? No. What's, it, what is interesting because your motivations don't ever really change. You right. grow to love to embrace them or you grow to try to like live up to them. What does happen is that in stress and in health, you can take on some attributes of another number. So you, for example. When you are, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of like a really good, I'm going to, I don't want to project on you. So I'm going to, I'm going to do two. <laughs> so when a two is really stressed out, that's when the dragon comes out. They become like an eight, right? So this really, really cute sweetheart, they become like an eight, they become the dragon. And so when I took my tests online, I kept typing as an eight. Interesting. Because I was in a really, really crappy season of healing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when I'm really, really healthy, I can tap into a four. I can be really creative, really empathetic with people. It doesn't drain me. It just becomes part of who I am. So every Enneagram number acts like, but your core motivations don't change. You just, and you are the healthiest version of your type, but you can, you can kind of borrow from mm -hmm. the other numbers, but you don't change. That's amazing. So how does your Enneagram type affect basically everything else in your life? Well, here's the thing. When you see what's actually stopping you, when you see your worldview, you realize how you've done everything. When, when, a, when a six realizes that they've been really masked by fear, they're like, that's why I didn't make that move. That's why I didn't go to the far college. That's why I'm so frugal with my finances. That's why. And I'm just, I'm just making examples. But really, when you see through your worldview or like if you're a seven and you're afraid of that deep emotional pain, that's why I never break up anyone and I just wait for them to end it because I don't like endings. I, you know, you, it makes a lot of sense. So even as the two, I realized for a while that I was like overspending in finances and I couldn't figure out why. And the Enneagram cleared that up for me. It was like, oh, I'm just like, I love doing things for people. So instead, I'm just going to work it into my budget. I'm going to like work that six coffees I get for people a month into my budget. So it's, it really helps with everything. Someone asked me this recently. What does the Enneagram help you with? And I was, I literally was like, I'm not exaggerating everything, everything you're, I've heard, I've worked with clients about how they relate to food based on their Enneagram type. No way. So yeah. how do, how do, as a three wing two, how do I relate to food? You might actually see it as first of all, nourishing. If you are really, really stressed, you might pig out a little bit more. Oh God, that's so true. <laughs> because, um, you know, you might go into that. Um, I think I, I, I don't know why off the top of my head, I just confuse the two, but I think that you, as a three, you go into, um, a nine, Jesus, that's what it was <laughs> a nine under stress. And so you're like, okay, like no one's looking, I'm going to like sink into a couch and 
not do anything and you're not moving me off of this couch and I'm just going to eat and I'm just going to go into this like sloth mode and don't tell me what to do. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. So, uh, but on the other times when you're super motivated, you might care a lot about your appearance. So food, my food is fuel. We go to the gym, we work out. I relate to food because it relates to how I work and how I look. And so that might not be true for everyone. No, that's at least for me. Again, you just read my soul. I feel like I feel like you saw. I feel like you were in my pantry with me when I had the Oreos. Like here I go. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I and that it's funny because as a two, I eat my feelings when I'm healthy because I'm a four. When I, I go to a four, and I'm like, I just want to feel all the things. When I just like, but then when I'm like stressed out, I don't eat at all. I'm like, I would rather challenge and be a bull in a in a china shop than eat something. Like you know, so it's 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 interesting. So like even just working with like I've worked with threes before on removing food as it relates to them affecting their appearance mm. because apparently that's value to them. And so it's it just being able to change those mindsets. Oh my gosh, it's crazy cool. So. I'm curious about this. Thinking like zodiac signs, mm -hmm. are there certain Enneagram pairings of people that work better together in friendships, in relationships, versus ones that maybe clash more? This is a really tough question because the <laughs> answer is yes and no. Mm. So on a on a natural level, like I, and I do trainings at workplaces all the time, there are certain numbers that work well on a project. Like I love pairing a five and a six because a, a five is going to find the solution and the six is going to troubleshoot it. Right. So that like that's a, there are great pairings in the workplace. Twos are awesome in the workplace with threes because they don't mind being the power behind the throne. Right. But realistically, or even in a relationship, there are some people that work really well together. Seven and nine tend to work together, things like that. But anyone who's healthy or unhealthy will or won't work together. So my boyfriend's a five and twos and fives are complete opposites. Fives are like, yeah, twos are like, oh my God, I love you. Love me. Like, let me do this for you. Do you want some more soda? Like, uh, and, and he's like, get away from me. You know? <laughs> and so, but, and everyone was like, you're not going to, it's not going to work. And we've been together for two years. So it's, it's really like, we just work on being the healthiest version of ourselves and communicating. Mm -hmm. Now you can be the best pair possible. Threes and sevens also great, go well together. Right. So a three and a seven, if a seven never wants to deal with their pain and a three never wants to deal with their emotions, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yes and no, there are some types that just flow well together because they relate a lot and that helps. But really it's about what level of self-awareness you're at and how healthy you want to be when it comes to being with somebody else. And that's where I think like, you know, like I love, I love the Zodiac stuff. I think it's so interesting. I always like I have the app on my phone and I read it. I'm like, cool, I'm going to put on a fake wedding ring today. Like, you know, it tells, it tells you like that stupid advice. But um, I don't, I do think that a lot of it's a choice. Your growth is always a choice, you know? And if you choose to continue every day to be healthy, you either find that you pair super well with your partner or you find that, oh, maybe this whole relationship was a trauma bond and I don't, I don't know if either of us should be here right now. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And I always say that too, even with regards to thriving, you know, like surviving mm -hmm. or thriving is oftentimes a choice and just yeah. how you treat what's going on in your life and how you how you shift your perspective to approach yeah. any good things and bad things so yeah. that is such a good point too and so many people probably rely on that zodiacs and enneagrams or whatever where they're yeah. like oh i have to be with this kind of person or whatever but no it's yeah it's it's about choosing and it's about growing yeah. like i i it, 
I have the the great honor of having gotten into the Enneagram before this relationship. And I was already highly self, self-aware. And so I was able to communicate like, hey, when I'm coming off as like super needy, I need you to stop for a second and be like, what do you actually need right now? Mm-hmm. I won't do that for myself. And he does that. And so it's, it's really just like, how can you communicate who you are, what you need and who you are at your worst? Because they're going to see you at your worst, whether you like it or not, no matter how healthy you are. How do you communicate that if you don't have the language for it? Right. So if someone takes the Enneagram test, they have their results. What do you recommend as kind of like the first or next step to make sense of that to mm-hmm. actually understand yourself more and apply it in your life besides just being like, yep, I'm a three wing two there. Like right. what's kind of like the first thing that you should do to actually make that applicable in your everyday life? I think, well, first and foremost, get a book and just double check because, you know, tests can be wrong. I kept typing, like I said, I kept typing as an eight. Eventually I typed as a six. I was like, none of this is like working for me. I got a really reputable book on Amazon and um, I read the description for the type two and I threw the book across the room. I was like, screw this. I would say read a book first and just make sure. But in those books, it actually helps a lot. It breaks it down. It breaks the variables up. Wing wing two or wing... um, wing two or ring four for you, right? Or um, what social variant are you? Like, are you like a social person? Are you like an intimate person? Are you a self-preservation person? All that stuff, it breaks it down. But the next step really comes in getting real with yourself when you're reading this stuff, when you're listening, because a lot of it has to do with denial. And the reality is, is when we see that there's, there, we all have parts of ourselves that we wanted to like close the book on, you know, bend the page, close the book. We will pick up it at some point. And, and the, the, Enneagram, the Enneagram exposes those things. It, expose, it exposes the things that we don't want to see about ourselves. So realistically, it's about getting real with yourself. There's a lot of denial that comes with it, but there's also a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame that comes with hearing something about yourself that you've hidden from your own self for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so get real, be honest, find an accountability friend or person, someone that d- someone that's not impressed by you, doesn't take you seriously, doesn't care for your BS excuses and just talk them through it and be real with them, be honest with them and begin that journey. When you start to see those parts of yourselves, you will become aware of it. It's kind of like rumble strips. You're driving and you don't really know you're veering off the road, but then all of a sudden your car is like, and then you're like, oh, and then you go back into the lane. And so the Enneagram is like rumble strips. Once you learn these things about yourself, you're kind of like, I do only do that when I don't have my needs met. I do only do that when I'm really mad at somebody for not moving fast enough. I, you know, and it helps from there. It's so true. Oh my gosh. So combining all of your certifications in one and knowing that you talked about this on your own podcast in the past, I think this is so cool. I wanted to ask you, can you tell us about the the nine types of self-sabotage based on our Enneagram types. Cause I feel that is so, and we all do it, but it is fascinating to me how we all yeah. self-sabotage <laughs> in so many ways. And the fact that you can tie this to the Enneagram too is like unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. So you might find yourself in, in more than one of these things or j- like a different one that's not your type or whatever. And that's totally fine. Cause this is not end all and be all regarding the Enneagram. It's just something that's very common, but you know, for the Enneagram type one, their self-sabotage is perfectionism. And what happens is that they want things to be so perfect. They would rather quit the thing and give you a really great tailored excuse for why they quit because they're going to start something else. It's going to be a lot better than to actually realize that it would not have been perfect. And it, it begins a cycle. So I have a, have a client who's a type one and every time she starts canceling meetings, I like, she's a friend of mine too, but I show up to her apartment and I'm like, hi, 
it's me. You're not going to quit. And she's like, damn it. <laughs> for, for the type two, self-sabotage is double-sided. It's neglect and then infatuation. So they neglect themselves. And because they have nothing to focus on, if not themselves, they become infatuated with the person in front of them, become fixated on them and meeting their needs. And it ends up sabotaging relationships. It ends up sabotaging friendships. It ends up sabotaging everything because they can't look inward at themselves. The Enneagram type three, their um, self-sabotage is imposter syndrome. And that's always really, really hard. It's it's imposter syndrome, if, if you don't know about it, is um, that internal tension of, I didn't earn where I am or someone's going to find me out as a fake fraud or phony or all of this is just going to be taken from me. It's a constant fear of losing what you have because you didn't really actually earn it by your own merit. So imagine thinking that, but also thinking that your value is resting in your, um, in your works. Oh, it's exhausting. Let it's me exa- tell it you. It must be exhausting. <laughs> like it, it's that imposter syndrome is so real for threes, but it ends up sabotaging things. They also might tend to, to quit. Like I, I hear people like, a lot of my threes break up perfect relationships near or near perfect. Nothing's perfect, but uh, due to the imposter syndrome, it's a, it's a common theme for the type four. That's the, that's sabotage is a comparison. They will compare themselves to other people mainly because they feel like something's missing in them, but they love to idealize. So they're also going to start to compare like their past to their present. Have I grown? Is this good enough? And their present to their future. Is this where I want to be if I'm not where I want to be? So the present tends to be a really crappy place for fours because of comparison and it, and it sabotages them moving forward in anything. For the Enneagram type five, there's the self-sabotage is a lack of confidence in themselves. And because they're people who are based on knowledge and facts and data and decimals and dollars and when there's decisions that you have to make that don't rely on those things, like, do I want to say yes to another date? Do I want to propose to this person? Do I want to, whatever that looks like when there's decisions that you can't rely on facts for that become like that come out of matters of the heart, they struggle. They don't have confidence in themselves. So they take forever to make these decisions. And sometimes they lose the opportunity to do it for the Enneagram type six, their self-sabotage is actually suspicion. And so it's interesting because their their worry and their concern is actually a superpower. It's how they protect people. But when that concern borders into suspicion, they ruin relationships around them because they start they don't realize this. And I a lot of my every single one of my clients and friend sixes have agreed. They're like, yeah, this is so true. Um, they put people through like little tests. They kind of test people to see what they're made of, to see if they're if they're like, do you mean what you say? Are you really are you not going to you're not going to spoil the whole group? You're not going to just thwart everything that we've been trying to do in this organization or in this friendship or in this Canada. And their suspicion really puts a a huge divot between them and other people. So I have this experience with like a six in my life and my five, my boyfriend, where this person was so testing and pushing of this person due to due to my boyfriend. of my boyfriend due to suspicion that there's now a divot that can't be undone between them. Mm. Um, for seven, the sabotage, the self-sabotage is blinders and settling. And it's funny to think that because sevens typically don't settle. They don't, um, they don't like, they don't always like to commit to things. It's kind of like, if I'm going to say yes to this, I'm going to say no to everything else. I just want to make sure this is what I want. And so it's weird to think that, but for them, they tend to settle on all the good things 
they don't have they don't realize they have to go through the pain to get to the great things so they'll settle on good and it actually tends to sabotage them in life love and work because they're fine where they are it's Mm -hmm. fine it's not causing any pain i got my blinders on i'm good here i could sit and die here interesting i cannot relate (laughs) i'm not a seven i know i know you're not a seven (laughs) um for the type eight, the self-sabotage is actually expectation. There's always an intensity that comes with an eight. Even if they're not yelling or anything like that, they're just they're intense people. So when it comes to conversations or relationships or even a fight, they want you to match their intensity. They have this expectation that you're going to either change your mind or match them, right? In, your, in, in their mind, they have facts and you have an opinion, right? So <laughs> they, for them, what ends up happening is when someone is not matching their intensity. They're not yelling as loud as they are. They're not stomping on the ice the way that the eight is. They end up getting more angry and more livid. And it gets louder and crazier and scarier. And the reality of it is, is that expectation is self-sabotage. So really being able to be an eight and to step back and to say like, they're answering this and going for this in the way that they understand would help them. And then the last one for type nine, it's passiveness and procrastination. AKA being indifferent. And I think a three will step into this when they're really unhealthy, you know? So um, being able, like having so much to do that you just don't do anything. Oh God, I can relate to that too. (laughs) Being passive, um, being completely indifferent. All, and for the nine, it's all to maintain peace, but ends up becoming a huge stressor for them. So it's a self-sabotage. It's like, I, I, I avoided all of this because I didn't want to deal with the conflict that came with it. But now there's conflict because I avoided all of it. See, that happens to me if I am burned out, I will find Mm -hmm. what really motivates me and makes me jazzed is crossing things off the to-do list, like feeling productive, feeling on top of it. But if I am, like you said, not healthy and really pushing close to the point of burnout, there are times where I will literally just sit and stare at a wall. And like, that's, that's your nine. Yep. And I'm just like, okay, I know this is not what actually makes me feel good about myself or whatever, but it's almost like, I feel like I slip into self-preservation mode and I will literally just sit and stare at something because I'm like, I'm, I feel paralyzed and that, look at that. That's what it is. Yeah. And when you're healthy, when you feel like you're on top of the world, you're not feeling burnt out, you're not feeling stressed, you're going to go into a six and it's like, well, how can a six really be healthy? You're going to, you're not going to be a three that cuts corners just to get stuff done and cross it off the list. You're going to be like, is this sustainable? Is this good? Is this, is every single box ticked off? Did I do this correctly? Did I do this thoroughly? And so it's, it's seeing all those sides of a coin. It's so interesting. Oh my gosh. It is so cool. How did you even become certified as an Enneagram coach? So I, you know, I, it's funny because the certification that's supposed to take 16 weeks, I did it in three days because I had already, (laughs) I I had, I knew all the stuff. I was just like, I just need to get certified because I know that people are going to ask me and I just Mm -hmm. need that piece of paper to prove it. Like really, Uh I like had a perfect score on my test and everything. But for me, honestly, like it, it really was just when I realized like I needed this to get from where I was to where I am. I would, I'm not the, I'm not the person I was two years ago. You'd be shocked to interview that person, you know, even in just the last two years. So when I got into the Enneagram, I was like, I don't know how people survive without this. And when I talk to people, they're like, I don't know how I survived this long. (laughs) You know what I want to do. I do want to say this, which I think is really interesting for the type three. I want to see if you relate to this type three, six, and nine are the anchor points of the Enneagram. What that means is they don't have a wing outside their center. So types two, three, and four are the heart people. They're the heart center. Um, Five, six, and seven are the mind center. Eight, nine, and one are the body center, the gut, like gut instinct. 
So the three is smack dab in the middle of the heart center. So that means you're a heart forward person. But because you don't have a wing outside your center, the two is in the heart center, the four is in the heart center, the threes actually repress their emotions. Interesting. Yeah. And, and sixes are the same. So sixes don't have a, a wing outside their center. So they're in the mind center, but they repress their mind. So it's like, it's like you, unless you're typically, unless the three is at a breaking point, then it all comes like the dam bursts. But then it's, it's I'm going to just repress this as long as I can because it's holding me back. Interesting. I I would never say that I repress my emotions, but I also consider myself to be pretty self-aware. And I so and with some of the other types that you were mentioning, I relate to certain aspects of it. So I also kind of think I word vomit sometimes with how I'm feeling because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to communicate it. And like, I almost think it ties sometimes I just could be totally wrong because this is just my interpretation of it. But sometimes I feel like I overly process my emotions to get to to help me further along in whatever I'm trying to achieve. Because if I see something, if I if I am self-aware of an emotion I am experiencing and feel like it is standing mm-hmm. in the way of me getting from point A to point B, well, then I'm not repressing it at all. Then I'm sitting there trying to self-therapize to figure out how yeah. to fix it to move forward towards my goal. So I still, I almost feel like I... I, I don't know if that's maybe that's totally normal. Abnormal. That sounds like a healthy three. That sounds like a three going into the six. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good for you. Because <laughs> I'm like, wait, repress emotions. Anybody who knows me is going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. Like Erica's very emotional and yeah. wears her heart on her sleeve. But I almost like I am I will process things yeah. and do it all. And if yeah. it it's almost feels like it's like, OK, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I know that it is standing in my way right now between mm-hmm. this to this. Yeah. So I'm going to work through it for that reason. So yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. L- like, look at that. That's, that's health, ladies and gents. Health. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my God. I love it. Jackie, this has been like the coolest conversation. I'm, <laughs> I now I want to go, what is the Enneagram book? Do you remember which book you were referencing earlier that you recommend mm. from Amazon? Cause now I need to add it to my cart ASAP. The wisdom of the Enneagram is the book by Don Richard Riso. If you type Enneagram into um, Amazon, a bunch of options are going to come up. It's the wisdom of the Enneagram. It's a little blue book. Um, it's actually pretty big, but it's it's really easy to get through. I would recommend if you're reading it, read it to figure out your type also, if you haven't figured out your type and uh, read through all of the types. Um, but it, it was a really good book. But once I learned from what I did there, I did com- like complete research and I was able to you know, figure out so much more. I've been able to develop like leadership tactics and the different things like that. There's so much that comes out of that because of motivations and desires. I don't think we can ever discredit those, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on Erica. Like I really, I appreciate your time. Yes. Get that book. Get that book. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh my gosh. Well, before we close out, I want to ask you two questions that I ask every guest who comes on the thrive podcast. Uh, and I'm really stoked for your answer because I feel like <laughs> it's going to be infused with some Enneagram pizzazz here. But what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Ooh. I don't know if this is pizzazz, but I think thriving, what thriving is to me is being able to say the odds don't matter. What cards I was dealt with this morning don't matter. But being able to say, 
whatever is in front of my face today, I can handle it. That's thriving because there's nothing consistent in life. Everything changes all the time and sometimes for the better and sometimes for the not so better. And I, I think being able to look around and say, change is not my favorite, but I can handle today for what it is and tomorrow will be a new day. I think that's thriving. And, you know, we're talk- talking non-financially, talking not in business, but just talking in everyday life. And so for me, how I strive to do that is I listen to my body. Uh, I too tend to self-abnegate. So I've, that's a practice I've had to learn. I listen to my body and when my body needs a day off, I clear my schedule and I take the day off. I spent a lot of days in the month of June at the beach. A lot of people were mad at me. I didn't care about it. I, because of my body needed it, but now here I am better than ever. So I strive by listening to my body and, and being aware of my surroundings. But I think that's something everyone can do to wake up and go, okay, well, what's really stressing me out about the change in atmosphere or in, or in plans today and being able to tackle that. I think that's thriving. I love that. So where can people find you online if they want to connect with you further? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at, at table for nine coaching. It's F O R and the digit nine. That's also my website, table for nine coaching.com. And then after you've listened to all of thrive podcast 18 times, then you can go to the table for nine podcast on iTunes or Spotify, but only after, only after. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. Oh, well, thank you again, Jackie, for hanging out with me on thrive. This has been the coolest conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.